It's time to kick off your shoes and dig your toes into some home soil. Dun dun dun! We'll meet some aliens we've never seen before. In fact, we can't see them at all. Then they're like, oh, right. it is alive, I get it. And no episode of STTNGs is complete without a visit from our great bird of the galaxy. Caw, caw! Thank you, Gene. So get ready to plant your feet in the home soil right about now. For the for the home listener, we're recording this in a time of plague. <laughs> well, what I like is that what I like is that we have to remind the listener as if someday there won't be a plague anymore. <laughs> It'll be like remember. <laughs> We're optimists. We believe that one day there won't be a plague. I remember when I went to um, one of my podcast 101 classes. I, I don't know if you remember. You were there with me taking notes, I think. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. One of the one of the uh, deal breakers, one of the things you don't do in your podcast is date it. You don't want to say, like, oh, this happened. You don't want to do that. Right, you don't right, want to do that. Right, That's right. exactly right. Because yeah. the podcast is eternal. That's right. And I, so, and you I, know, I was listening. It's yeah. funny you mentioned that because I was listening to a press conference from George Herbert Walker Bush, and he was talking about the economic malaise and how he believes Bill Clinton is not going to be able to do anything about it. <laughs> Nobody will vote for that guy. Come on. All right. Let's uh, let's commence Love Festival. Going to start the countdown. Count it down for crying out loud. And then they started counting down just like this back in the old days. They started with five... Bring it four. Bring it on. Three. The noise. Two. Bring on the funk. One. You're breaking up. You're breaking up, number one. Welcome, everybody, to your new favorite Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. And it's called STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. I'm sorry, but we are a nation in trauma. As long as the Star Trek podcasts keep going on, we are a nation in crisis. I, I need executive action. What is going to be done about this? Uh, we're, we're, you're going to be in crisis for a long time. I mean, we this is a 178-episode show, and we are only huh? in... Yeah. We're only in season one. This is episode 17. I don't know if you knew that. Dang. It's going to keep on keeping on, I got to tell you. We are we are deep, deep, deep in the season one. Oh, yeah. We are we are breezing through these things. And, 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 yes. and, and we're learning things. We're, I'm learning about myself. I think we've opened up emotionally to each other in ways that we've never done before. <laughs> I, I've discovered my inner wharf. Oh, I, I've, I've discovered my inner Troy. That's, that's who I've discovered. Is, are you wearing a Merkin belt now? Is that what that, that is? Uh, not yet, not yet. I think I'm going to get into that on season two. You know, whenever she does her big costume, she has a lot of costumes. When she gets in her costume change, right. I'm going to keep wearing that um, little bikini she's got on this season. Well, I'm just, I'm just wearing the same spandex outfit episode after episode. I, I feel that mm. gives it an air of authenticity. Get it? <laughs> keep it ripe, Rika. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm um, Commander Dave E. Dave. Commander Dave E. Dave. Acknowledged. Taking the helm. And I'm a... unit. I'm yes, assistant... carbon unit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Please speak up, carbon unit. I'm assistant terraformer Andrew. Oh, that, that's so episode specific. Thank you for... Thank you for keeping it um, germane. Welcome, everyone, to episode 17, Home Soil. 17. It was a very good episode, Commander Worf. Uh, <laughs> did you know that Home Soil aired February 22nd, 1989? 
Do you remember 1989, Andrew? I I, rem- I actually I do remember 1989. I have to admit that I do. I was I was still working at Chuck E. Cheese while you were in college. How do you like that? You learned you learned more at Chuck E. Cheese than I did at my college. This episode involves uh, the 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 Enterprise D visiting a terraforming planet, a planet being terraformed, really. Right? Remember when we talked about if Kirk doesn't like your civilization, mm-hmm. he'll blow it up? Yeah. I like the fact that terraforming just takes that, makes Kirk look like an absolute amateur. Right. I mean, all Kirk is doing is blowing up your Amiga. He's, he's blowing up your iMac. Meanwhile, terraforming is blowing up your entire planet and making it right. just right for humans. Spock, I paved the whole goddamn planet. Wow. That is, that's like having William Shatner. Never, it's not. Spock. Give me your Sp- give me your uh, Shatner. Spock, it's like paving the whole planet. Well, I'm only going to do it when we go to for our retro episodes. So everyone, we we also record every once in a while some retro Trek episodes, Star Trek the original series, and um, you you can find those on our on our fabulous website, along with a lot of other things, a lot of other content. Are you talking? Are you talking about www? dot t-n-g-e-e-z dot c-o-m absolutely do you mean world wide web number one that is exactly what i mean you can also access us on uh, facebook you can find us on instagram you can find us anywhere you look you really can't get away from us in fact we're taking over probably have to go into the dark web we're there too come on but we're there yeah, this episode, this episode, what happens is the Enterprise stops at this planet being terraformed. And you remember the name of the planet, Andrew? Valera 3. I guess they terraformed Valera 1 and 2, and now they're getting to, to uh, Valera 3. Sure. Yeah. What? <laughs> and then it looks... Sounds, that sounds scientifically accurate. What happens is uh, the Enterprise crew realizes that there's certain shenanigans going on down on the surface where the terraformers are terraforming, but something mysterious is going on. The terraformers could be screwing around with the ecosystem of Valeria 3. Well, there's a murder mystery. They're terraforming, but meanwhile, Terra is forming because a man is dead. Dun, dun, dun. The man dies in the episode, though. Oh, yeah, that too. The episode does open with uh, Picard hailing the planet and talking to... He has, a, he has a tense exchange with Dr. Mandel, who's in charge of the terraforming operation. Dr. Mandel comes off a bit nervous. But there's that... Okay, so Troy's sitting next mm. to him. And I, this is part of the problem with your whole teleconferencing with, with the visuals and everything, right? As opposed to the old-fashioned just voice phone. He cuts the sound off, right? So he can lean over to her and say, so what do you think? Is he uh, is he lying? Is he suspicious? What's going on? Right. And Mandel's an intelligent guy, right? <laughs> I mean, he's a scientist. He's got to know they're talking about him, right? Because right? they're giving him that side eye, right. and they're like, you know, Captain, I think this guy is a murderer. <laughs> right. You know I can see you, right? Troy's like, let's, Captain, let's hope he can't read lips. <laughs> He's that would have been great. <laughs> that would have been great if he could. But they're not there for the murder. No, they're just hanging out. They just they're checking it out. Yeah, so they're so they're visiting the planet. It's like a routine check-in from the Enterprise, and they're coming to see what's going on down on the planet. And terraforming planets, uh, apparently, I don't think this comes in very much more in the series. I don't. Do you, do you remember it coming in again? A terraforming? Well, I mean, that was the whole point behind the Genesis device right, I know, in Star for... Trek 2 and 3, right? Of course, of course, I know. And apparently they just, in the meantime, they just got it down to a science. They figured it all out. They're like, well, we don't need to 
shoot Spock in a torpedo at the heart of the planet anymore. We'll just go ahead and figure something else out, do more of a, a piecemeal. That's Star Trek Two, where uh, Kirk's old... Uh, well, she wasn't his wife. But. Wrath of Khan. No, it was his, his baby mama, his baby mama. Right, and, and she's a scientist working on the Genesis Project, which brings me to my favorite line of all the Star Trek movies. Maybe all Star Trek ever, right? Yes. Captain Kirk, give me Genesis! Oh, come on, that's that's Star Trek Three. I know. Star Trek Three. I know. Search for Spock. We're, we're talking about Star Trek Two because it, it's the Genesis planet situation. So they're terraforming planets, and in our real world, our real Earth, this is something they're talking about doing. Maybe someday on Mars, and and in other, maybe some of the moons of some of the big gas planets, like actually terraforming a planet and making it livable for human beings. Maybe the moon too. Would you like to terraform the the moon? You see what you were saying about uh, Valera One and Valera Two was was making me. Uh, sort of do my sort of golden retriever, you cock your head to one side, because I think in order to terraform, you actually have to have a planet that, sorry, 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 folks, we, this won't take long, hang on. You actually have to have a planet that has the raw materials capable of supporting life, right? You don't just create a whole new Earth out of nothing. You got to have the right gravity, the right. right distance from the sun, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's like this planet that they've come to, it's like perfect for life, except there's no life on it. So I guess there's a bunch of planets out there, and we and, and this is possible because we've got a lot of planets in our own solar system that supposedly don't have life in on them. But this is a planet that's that could be Earth-like if they terraform it over many, right. many decades, right. they say. That, 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 That'd be great. If they had an episode with like really dumb terraformers, and and Picard was like, "Listen, we we number one, we need to break it to them gently." And I'm sorry, I can only do Sean Connery <laughs> as that. Captain Picard. I now. wish you'd make it more Sean Connery sounding. We have to break it. I have to break it to them gently. Number one. Riker has to call you up and go, look, this is Pluto, man. I mean, it's a frozen ice ball. It's not going to do it, Cap. Or This is a gas giant. There isn't even any ground. You can't terraform if there's no Terra, okay? I hate to be the one to tell you. Uh, yeah, you do need the Terra. That's that's important in terraforming, I guess. And I don't know why you think that talking about uh, actual like science in a science fiction-based show is somehow going to turn people off. I mean... Science <laughs> fiction, pal. Fiction, but there's based... The thing that I liked about how this episode started is that the idea of terraforming is kind of an exciting idea. And you've got a bunch of really passionate terraformers down there on Valera 3, and they're really into their job. Yes, that's true. The lead dude, Dr. Mandel, acts very suspiciously, like he doesn't want them to come down. He's he. It seems like he might be hiding something down on the planet. And of course, that gets... Uh, Picard all riled up, and and he decides that he needs to go down there. And Deanna, Deanna is doing. I've noted many times in in our shows that Deanna hasn't always been very useful. And in this episode, in the very beginning, at least, she's very useful. It's a very it's a very pro Deanna Troy episode in in the first half. She suggests that he's hiding something. He's hiding something from the captain, and that inspires them to go down after the um the credit roll break and the commercials where they were selling what do you think they were selling back in uh, 1989 yeah, probably alpo yeah alpo yeah, was really yeah. big dogs were hungry uh, back then. the where's the beef commercials were a big thing i think in 1989 where's the beef sarah peller sarah peller god bless her she's god the, rest her soul she's the where oh she's not with us anymore the where's the beef lady oh my god she was already she, she had one foot in the grave when that thing came out 90 years old when <laughs> they recorded that where's the beef listen i was describing that commercial campaign to my son who's 10 now and he could he looked at me like are you 
out of your flipping mind. Is there a gas leak, Dad? Is there a gas leak? That that was funny, Dad. That was funny back in 1980-whatever. No, it was never funny. So I was trying to tell him, like, look, people were actually walking around and quoting this commercial. It was so popular. Like, where's the beef? They would say it. Well, they were also saying things like, please don't squeeze the Charmin. Oh, I mean, that, this, this, that, it was a very dark time in our society. It really got me excited when this episode began because it's full of suspense or the promise of suspense in the beginning when they're getting ready to go down onto the planet and the bridge is like all a flutter with people moving like it's a Frank Capra movie or something like going, going, crossing, <laughs> crossing, like moving bodies, like moving across the, uh, the, the, the pain and like everybody's moving and I'm like, oh, wow, the people have not been moving around on that ship. You know, there's barely any extreme motion or running or anything, but they were all they were all really, really getting into going down on this planet. I have to tell you, that was one of the things that actually bothered me because they're all running around like something's going on and there's really not much going on. Right. There's a lot of things that happen in the episode that are interesting. I think like a lot of previous episodes, though, a lot of the, the promise isn't really carried out because it starts off with this murder mystery. And right. It's becoming like some sort of police procedural, and then it goes yeah. a completely different direction. It does. Which is kind of interesting, because it does allow, like you mentioned, Troy, Jordy gets to do some cool things. But all these folks are running around like something urgent's going on when nothing urgent really is really going on. <laughs> it was just like, everybody get busy. The credits are about to roll. It's like the Admiral's here. Admiral's here. Everyone get moving. <laughs> Starfleet inspector's here. Look busy, everyone. We're about to go on to the commercial break for crying out loud. Let's cover the murder mystery part of it because we keep talking about it. Let's get to the actual murder so that, that we can kind of uh, leap forward from the murder part. Are you thirsty at all, Dave? Are you thirsty? Uh, uh, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? You, you sound a little thirsty. You're clearing <clears throat> your throat. I am. I'm just uh, wondering. Oh, uh-oh. It's from France! Uh. <laughs> Folks. Folks, it's Perrier. Uh, now the episode can begin. Mm. Oh, there you go. There you go. Slurp it up. Thank you for thinking about my refreshment. Later on, will you be chewing with your mouth open? I don't mm-hmm. think the audience has been grossed out enough <laughs> by your slurping. You know what? The slurping. <laughs> when I'm editing the audio, um, sometimes I'm 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 spending quite a lot of time deciding just how much slurping to put in. Like, you know, is that? You, there's like a there's a fine line between you know it being disgusting and being funny. And of course, this is all me listening to myself slurping things. So I, I I mean, I might not be the best judge of what is disgusting. Hey, I didn't realize I didn't realize this was a Ferengi episode. I'm sorry, Andrew. Andrew, thank you for thinking about my refreshment. I don't think they could say the refreshment, actually. <laughs> but, you know, let me tell you something. I, I just want to take a little side note because I know how everybody loves this. One of my big pet peeves, I listen to a lot of radio and I listen to a lot of public radio. And one of the things that drives me nuts is when the announcer comes back. It's usually a local person, not on one of these highly produced shows. Local guy comes back and he's just had a sandwich or something. And you can hear the food. <laughs> you, you, could, you could hear the food in his mouth still. It's like it's like there's tacky stuff on his teeth still. And that little that little that little. Yeah. We should we should do an episode where we eat while we're doing it. But there's like a there's like a little uh, like a little tacky uh, sandwich bread is still in there somewhere, just a little bit, and and it's gross. I, I don't. I'm really yeah, paying this, attention. This episode of TNG is brought to you by Quiznos. This episode, this episode of <laughs> that's Reverend Jim. <clears throat> this... yeah, became became Reverend Jim. There is suddenly I was watching Star Trek Three. Shut up, Dave. This episode is brought to you by Ferengi Free Soda. <laughs> now in a can. 
So you were saying yes, about the episode. Okay. okay, so they get down to the planet, and this Mandel is a, a famous character actor. Oh, he is, is he? I don't know if you remember all those wonderful James Bond movies when, when you were a sure. young person. I do, Money Penny. Money Penny. The fleshy beasts in my sights, Money Penny. That's actually from train spotting, but they do an imitation of Connery in <laughs> train spotting. Walter Gottel, he's been in a ton of stuff. And he played a Russian commander in the James Bond movies. Uh, he was in all of the, all of the um, the Saint ones, whatever that guy's name is. Man, what's Satan? Wrong? You mean Blofeld? The Saint, the goddamn Roger Moore movies. Oh, <laughs> Roger <laughs> Flipping Moore. Sorry, oh. I sorry. I, you I are his you name. are out of control right now. <laughs> I forgot his name. Okay, he's in all of the Roger Moore James Bond movies, and he gets into the Timothy Dalton ones too. Okay, he reminds me a lot of Michael Pataki in uh, Too Short a Season because he's just totally chewing up scenery. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. have like a huge breakout scene like Pataki does, who played Carnass at the end of Too Short a Carnass. Season. He just gets right. to go off. But, I mean, his reading of these lines are so resonant and so rich, and he rolls his R's <laughs> frequently in order to make the point. He's just got this incredibly powerful presence, and I think that's part of the problem mm-hmm. is that he comes off, and especially because Troy casts those suspicions on him, that he comes off like the bad guy. Like, he's the one that's going to end up being the murderer, and we all know it. It's so obvious, Right. Yes. Of course, it's it's not what happens, and it's not him. But it's such a huge red herring, and I think it yeah it it pulls us away from the real truth. And I think that's smart. I think it's a great distraction because you you fall for it. You think you're in a murder mystery that there is this obvious villain, and so clearly he must be behind the the murder. Yeah, but let me note something. The murder has not happened yet, okay? They don't go down to the planet because of a murder. They go down and witness a murder. But he's acting suspiciously. And here's my problem with the red herring, okay? Oh, my God. What happens is this guy's a great actor, okay? And he plays this character on the view screen that's so nervous, and he wants to put them off, and he doesn't want them to come down to the planet. And there's this exchange between he and Picard, and Troy is advising Picard— And the guy is so nervous, and he's so like, you know, I don't want you to come down. And then the next scene, they come down, and he's a completely different person. He's a completely, he actually, excuse me, uh, excuse my manners before. I was a bit, uh, I'm just a little overworked. And it's just, it's so phony baloney. The red herring is not to tell the actor to act completely differently so that you you make the audience believe one thing is happening. You're supposed to take something that's obvious in the story and point the direction of the narrative towards that. Changing changing the character is not the same thing as a traditional red herring in a story or in a movie. They get down there, and the guy acts like a completely different character. And then you're like, huh? What was that? I agree with you that there's some directing issues because it's, again, the implication is made when they discover what's going on with the quote-unquote microbrains. The implication is there that, Later. that yeah, yeah, that Mandel knew all the time and he was doing something, that he was behaving inappropriately towards them, right? That he was trying to kill them because they were getting in the way of his project. But that thread totally gets lost. It does. And yeah, it's so confusing. Yeah, so so I would say it's a red herring in the sense I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here, and and say it's a red herring designed to to throw you off from what's actually going on, 
And then yeah. once you see what's going on, you're like, oh, okay. And I guess you're supposed to forget about Mandel, just like the director did. <laughs> yeah. And and move on. Or, the, of course, you know, we, we've talked before how they were just cranking these episodes out. And they were, you know, right. they were really on well, a tight schedule. And so they probably just, you know, they probably forgot. One of the things that we've read about, too, is that Roddenberry is still involved at this point, and a lot of times they would get the script and everything would be put together, and like right at the very last minute, there'd be script changes, and something would be completely switched. And and this thing reeks of that kind of stuff. I did read that the director was really unhappy with the script that was turned over because it was changed so much. It seems like a last-minute change where you strip out the tension. Like, like Mandel should have been a bad guy. You should have believed that he was just a bad dude. From the beginning, it's weird because I'm going through the whole episode thinking that he's a bad guy. And then they're basically convincing us that he isn't a bad guy and that he just kind of made a mistake. And it is a lot like the Jameson episode where Picard is kind of giving this dude the benefit of the doubt and going like, oh, oh, yes, 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 you must have been, you know, he's not trying to solve a mystery about, you know, what's really going on. He's trying to figure out how this man could be innocent. And it's like what was going on with Jameson. Jam- really? I see. I got just the opposite. I got just the opposite sense that Picard was constantly believing. Because he even says that in that scene in the observation lounge. He's just like, you're not telling me the truth. I know you're not telling me the truth because I have a beta Z right next to me who tells me you're not telling me the truth. He gets to the truth. But the truth is what? I mean, he, he wants to get to the truth, yes. But in the in the end, this is where I think the Gene Roddenberry influence comes in. In the end, it's just like another Starfleet person that can't be behaving that badly. Mm. In the Jameson episode, I mean, he's a war criminal, and Picard is trying to come to terms with him in some way and make this war criminal feel better about his actions. Like, it wasn't so bad. Sure. Don't be such a glasses-half-empty war criminal for crying out loud. There's always a good way of looking at things. Those arms, you know, they could have been put to good purposes. It's not all your fault. And and in this situation, too, it's like what happens is this guy is terrifying the planet, and he either does or doesn't know that there is a life form on the planet, and you're not supposed to, because of the prime directive, terraform over pre-existing life forms. And and it takes the whole episode, or at least half of it, to suss that part out. They get down to the planet, and Dr. Mandel does something that's completely suspicious. He tells one of his other—what are there, like, like four people terraforming this planet? Yeah. There's three dudes. There's a guy who dies. There's Bjorn— who has like that great '80s haircut? That great. Oh, he's the guy. He's the guy with the with the mullet. And then uh, there's Louisa Kim, who I can't wait to talk about. I'm very excited to talk about Louisa Kim. So uh, me too. Me too. So make your point. Let's get to it. Come on now. Louisa Kim is the one that introduces them. She meets greets the away team first. Yes. And the way and the way away team. I was very excited to see the away team is basically being led by Deanna Troy. Right. She's doing some work because she did such a good job on the bridge. He sends her down. She's down there being introduced to this terraforming base. And, and Riker is very excited about terraforming. I mean, they're all really excited about terraforming. I mean, these guys are are, are are flying all over the galaxy. They're going through wormholes. They're, you know, meeting gods left and right. And terraforming a planet is somehow, like, really, really super cool of them. Well, this is their race on Detra, right? I mean, yeah. this is their finding places to, to spread their space seed. No uh, connection to... Uh, con at all this is city alpha five 
I mean, finally, another person of color, finally a female of color, and the, mm-hmm. the, the performer that plays Louisa Kim is actually like this incredibly impressive person. And yeah. I was watching her first, her first couple of readings are really flat and robotic, mm-hmm. and then she does do a better job as the episode continues, and I, I, essentially, I guess, someone comes up to her and says, you know, you might want to act. Well, her real name is... Elizabeth K. Lindsay, and she's like the a first Polynesian and a first female fellow in the history of the National Geographic Society, and she's won awards oh, right. from the yeah. UN. Yeah. She's an anthropologist. She is uh, an explorer. She is known for her work in Polynesia, Micronesia, mm. talking about the Hawaiian natives and their situation, and I don't know. Just go look her up at elizabethlindsay.com. I mean, she's she's... She's formidable. What the hell is she doing in this episode for crying out loud? I mean, well, how did this happen? Well, she was also an actor. All right. Well, she did a couple of other roles. I mean, I'm chalking this up to director, okay? Her performance is very strange in this opening scene, and it made me feel like this terraforming colony was somehow taken over by some kind of mind-controlling microbes or she was a robot and mandel was somehow like a robot master or something because she gives the most stiff performance and the introduction to this colony is just read in such a robotic manner and then she does some really good acting later on it's a really weird performance i was a little concerned that her reading was so flat because her character was wonderful i mean her character is actually excited about her work. Yeah. She's actually enthusiastic about it. This is actually really cool for her. She's not your usual Starfleet kind of like, you know, oh, we're going to go do this miraculous thing, and I guess it'll be great. But but she's like really hyped up about this. She has some enthusiasm. Right. The later scenes where she's like sort of upset and stressed. So maybe it's it had to be weird for her as an ethnographer who discusses the colonialization of a people to be playing a terraformer. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, and especially a terraformer that discovers that they're going to eradicate or exterminate another species. I mean, it is a weird place for her to be as a human being. I get that. After that part, somebody dies. Mandel sends, very hurriedly sends one of the other terraformers into this room where he goes and, and is immediately killed after he's sent into the room. You, you've got to hurry up, get in there right away, right away. There's a lot of work for you to do. That's the part where we think Mandel is the, the murderer, that he set up this right, other person right. to be killed. And there's no reason why you wouldn't believe that because his actions, again, are confusing. Mandel rushes him into this room and there's no real justification for that other than they're in a rush. So he goes in, and then and then this guy is shot to bits by this uh, laser drill. Can I also say, too, that the, the one thing about the terraformers that kind of freak me out is I don't understand the outfits. I mean, they really look like a late 80s, early 90s techno band. It, 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 they look like New Order. I mean, they look like they're going to stand there and all play their keyboards together while dry ice and laser lights go off. So, I mean, if you're a terraformer, do you all have to wear, like, the same uniform? And they're, they have those giant belts, those weird white jumpsuits with those giant belts and those boots. <laughs> it's just so weird, and I don't understand it, and I want to understand it. I just don't. So, to me, the biggest mystery of this episode is those outfits. There's a part that's funny where they're trying to convince the terraformers to come up, and this is where I really like Louisa. This is where she starts shining the character. 
she wants um, Mandel to come up with them. She's like, please come up with us. Like she's, she cares for him. I mean, there's the character's got heart and, and layers. She doesn't want him left down on the station for whatever reason. She's worried about him or she wants him to come up. But Riker is trying to entice them to come up. He says, you know, we have holodecks up top and that's supposed to be the <laughs> that's supposed to be the thing that <laughs> we have holodecks and you think about all the mischief that Riker's gotten into in the holodecks he's like you know just don't go into number 5 <laughs> that's mine that's where that's where he stores minuet <laughs> it's like he and John Luke have their very personal um, own number 5 holodeck don't go in there but uh, listen that's the executive holodeck that's not for uh that's not for visitors. Uh, <laughs> you need a special passcode. Epsilon, Epsilon, Minuet, to get into that one. <laughs> that's when Bach, that's, that's what Bach could have done. Back in the battle, he could have used his right. uh, voice mimicking <laughs> software, and he could have gotten into uh, Picard's like holodeck playground and messed it all up. I want you to get into the holodeck where you and Riker met with that you made up woman that you made up. You made up woman that you made up. The made up woman minuet. All right. I, I'm not doing a very good Ferengi this episode. That's Actually, you're doing a great Ferengi. It's disgusting. Oh, okay. All it's right. really making Thank me, you. it's very unappetizing. Okay, so they, I mean, they get up top, and then, then this is kind of when the, the, the mystery begins, where Picard starts unraveling the threads. Picard notes that they are in a mystery. Yes, he says, like, we're detectives now, number one. And it's, it's interesting, too, though, because it, it shifts, so it becomes more like a CSI thing. They're, they're doing the science investigation and looking at the raw data, no pun intended, but, you know, taking scans and really starting to understand these, these life forms that they have found. And that's the other thing we didn't mention is that in the terraforming, Geordi sees, right, with his visor, right. he sees these lights down uh, where they're shooting the lasers, and he's like, what the heck is that? So they take the lights up, and they're studying them. And Bev even says, you know, we're going to use the scientific method. Right. And I feel bad for Yar and Worf, because Yar and Worf really have nothing to do this episode at all. Yeah, no. Here's where we start getting into what I think the show should have done a little more often. And maybe it will. We'll see how it goes. Jordy's using his visor effectively. They're gathering data. They're really doing some kind of hard science investigation. Exploring. They're, yes, exactly. They're exploring. This is like it's in the start of the show. They're, right. they're seeking out new life. And they're, they're coming to understand what it is they're seeing. You know, right. we've watched enough science fiction that we're like, yeah, it's life. Of course it's life. But this is when I get into it. They bring up something that they don't they don't know exactly what it is, right? They bring up this little light. They don't know what this is at first, and they're questioning whether it's alive, whether it is life. It's something that is inorganic. All these questions are being asked while Data is standing there. And I, and I think it's an interesting thing in this episode because there's this <laughs> discussion about organic versus inorganic, which we've had before already on the show. And for some reason, that just goes right over the Data part of this it's like data's just standing there like as if he's never heard of this conversation before like it's uh it's inorganic like you data like well, you I think, th- I think data would have something to say about it it resonates with that devil in the dark episode right the Horta episode you're talking about the original series for crying out loud i am just hold that for a minute i so the devil in the dark episode is original series and it's the episode everyone where there's like a lava monster and it burns yes, people alive it's a big carpet 
Yeah, it's a big and, and, made of and, rock. and Spock has to communicate with it by laying his hands on it, and it burns him, and he screams, and he and, and that's when you find out it's the mother. But I just want to, I just want to make pain! sure pain, pain. It feels pain. That's what Deanna says too. The in 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 Farpoint. That's the episode, everyone. In case it got a little too um, uh, trekky, a little for too you. obscure. Yeah, but see, they don't recognize that the Horda is life because a it's based on silicon, which McCoy and Spock both are just like, there's no way. But McCoy more. McCoy's the one that's like that. Yeah, that's impossible. You can't have that kind of thing. And that's exactly right. what they start doing here. As soon as they start realizing that it's minerals composite at the heart of this creature, they're like, oh, there's no way that's life. We've never seen it before. So it can't be. We'll never see it again. Except for that last right. time with the Horda. But but then as soon as it conforms to their definition of life, right, with the Horda, right. as soon as they figure out that the Horda is a mother or a parent, uh-huh. right, then they're like, oh, it is alive. I get it. Right. It loves things. So it must right. be. And as yeah. soon as this thing can procreate, and Data even says right. that, only life can replicate itself. So as soon as it procreates, they're like, oh. It has to be something they recognize. When they start hearing language, when they start seeing procreation, right. then suddenly they're like, oh, yeah, that's life. When it comes to Devil in the Dark, yes. my favorite Kirk anecdote, my favorite oh, William Shatner Kirk anecdote. So it's in William Shatner's autobiography, uh, Star Trek. I forget what it was called, Star Trek Dreams or Star Trek Stories or Here Comes Star Trek. Uh, Shatner's biography. (laughs) And he talks about the fact that when they were filming that episode... From Cook to T.J. Hooker. (laughs) Off the hook, the Star Trek story. Spock and me. So his father died. His father... Okay, I'm trying to talk about the fact that the man's father died. (laughs) His father died while they were filming the episode. It happens. And so they they went to him, the producers came to him, and they said, look, Bill, if you need more time, you know, if you need a longer break for filming, let us know. Mm. So he realized that they were very concerned about him, and he wanted to try and reassure him that he was okay. This was the moment where they're filming the scene where Leonard Nimoy, as Spock, is is performing the mind meld with the Horda. So he puts his little uh, Leonard Nimoy hands on the Horda, and he's doing that pain pain and then shatner steps in and says someone get that vulcan and aspirin and then they knew he was back i thought there was going to be something deeper going on with the story really no right. no but that's i, I just I like someone get that lame. vulcan and aspirin. they're like yeah they knew i was back they knew i was back that's great bill's back baby bill's back it's funny. There's there's some great shots where they look. So this thing, this little light, is inside this glass jar, and they're all kind of peering in and looking at it. And there's some great shots, and it's mainly the dudes looking in there. But it's funny because Picard's like, "What are we looking at?" Wes is like, "Whatever it is, it's beautiful. It's beautiful." It's, and then and then the computer, Major Barrett, pipes in with, "It's life." The computer on the ship, like another inorganic thing, recognizes inorganic life. Yeah, which is cool. The scene's actually nicely written. That little part. It's funny because Day is just kind of standing around, not questioning any of this. Which he should be the in, in, inorganic life expert, being being you well, know not alive himself. But I guess that was my point. He already resembles humans, and he wants nothing more than to be human, right? Right. And these microbrains that they end up calling, and we got to talk about that too. That microbrains are like, screw you, people, leave us alone. What is wrong with you? Right. They're they are nothing like humanity. They're nothing like the human race. They have no interest in dealing with the human race. To me, they're the most interesting alien we've seen so far. Yeah. Because finally, it's not just some weird special adaptation. 
We've talked before about how we struggle with some of these races, specifically your favorite Ferengi. Yes. That it's almost impossible to imagine a layered society. But these little creatures seem like they got a lot going on. They, so they start multiplying, they start growing, and then they, and they're able to begin to take over some of the functions of the ship, which terrifies the shit out of everybody, of course. They, they very quickly and smartly seal off sickbay right away. Beverly does that, which is good. And then they start taking over some of the functions of the ship, and then they begin to communicate in English with the crew, and, and they've got this great name for the human beings, uh, which I'd love you to say because I know you love it. Ugly bags of mostly water. And then Data's like, yeah, that's actually pretty accurate. <laughs> so Data's, Data's like totally taking advantage of this. It's like, hey, it's nice for you not to recognize another form of life as life. That part's cool. And by the way, snap! <laughs> Data's always been like, huh, I always thought of them as bags of mostly water, but now ugly too is probably a little more accurate. <laughs> well, what's cool about the microbrains is that they're smart. I mean, they're super smart. Right. And, and the problem here is these really super smart terraformers don't recognize that something is trying to communicate with them, right? Yeah. So they're potentially smarter than humanity. I mean, we don't know because it's not properly developed, but they're able to take control of aspects of the ship pretty quickly. You know, Data says that thing, oh, you know, they're like computers because they, they multiply into different cells and then they increase their power that way. But the fact is their size relative to humanity's size, the fact that they're able to take control of something that large. I mean, it'd be like if you were able to steer the Earth, if suddenly you were in charge of how Saturn was moving around. It's that complex and that level of power. And I like that idea, but it makes no sense when you think about what's been going on. Like, it takes the Enterprise coming down to make these microbrains start speaking. Well, like, why, where were these microbrains when the terraformers were, like, starting to accidentally, I guess, exterminate them? Oh, but they are, because they did. They did. They took over the laser, right, number one. Number one. Bjorn, uh, mullet guy, says, uh, he's the Swedish member of the band, mullet boy says, you know, we saw these weird patterns in the sand, they would change. And, yeah, Mendel's like, oh, I thought that was just wind. <laughs> but it's but it's like, it's like that scene in Independence Day where they come with the helicopter and they're flashing lights at it, right? So right. they're flashing lights at the giant UFO, at the mothership, just to say, hey, you know, we're human, here's a pattern. Use Morse code, yeah. Yeah, and they're doing the same thing, but the terraformers are like, dope, 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 dope. I'm busy terraforming. This is the part where it's really painful with the way that they deal with the female characters on this show, you know, so far. And in this episode, I mean, like all these dudes, well, the the one guy's dead, but these two men have talked about this. Like, oh, did did you see those marks on the sand? And there's four people on the flipping planet. And this never came up over dinner or anything with Louisa. It's like they've kept this information from her on purpose. And she's upset about it when she hears them talking about it. She's like, you knew? You knew this? And why wouldn't you tell her? I don't get that. She was in the galley making like cup of soup or whatever. They're like, right. hey, make uh, more uh, of that, that delicious Hawaiian cuisine. Why don't right, you? Honey, so we can honey, talk about science. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, honey, it was when you were getting coffee for all of us, remember? <laughs> I mean, uh, it, uh, we, we didn't have time to tell you. I mean, it's just such an old-fashioned idea. And here she is supposed to be, you know, this very smart scientist working with 
as an equal with them. It's it's offensive. It, there's there continues to be this kind of condescending attitude towards towards uh, aliens and alien life. And we were recently talking right. to a friend of ours, Nicole, who mentioned the fact that the Federation's got this thing where they like to call the planet whatever they want to call it. This planet that they're visiting here, Valara Three, it actually has like a group of creatures living on it, right? Right. And at no point does the Federation say to these the Federation representatives, any of these folks on the Enterprise say, "Listen, we're going to go ahead and call you microbrains. What? What are you called? What are right. you called exactly? Who are you? What's your name?" Right. Have you ever heard this line in a movie where it goes, "Take me to your leader"? Have you ever heard that? What, I mean, isn't there a isn't there an exchange like the first time you meet somebody, uh, you say something like, "Hi, I'm Dave. What's your name?" Uh, 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 isn't that the first thing you learn in Spanish? Yeah, exactly. But but they're just like, "Me amo, <laughs> me amo es Dave." E two. <laughs> but but they just call a microbrain, and it's like it's it's it seems a little offensive to me. But I love the way they slide in that microbrain because it's like it's right after the commercial break, and they're sitting around the in the conference room going, "Um, uh, we've decided after the commercial to call you microbrains." <laughs> are they afraid? Are they afraid it's going to be a traveler thing where they're going to say, "Oh, you couldn't pronounce it." Uh, uh, hold on, everybody, just a second. Uh, I've got to make a call. Great bird, great bird. W- 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 Oh, God. I've got one question. I know you're trying to get out of this whole series and everything, but I've got one question. Yes. What's that? Great bird, great bird. One. <laughs> yes. What, what was it that you asked me to, to say every time? Um, oh, mighty great bird. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, can, can Hurry up. I'm molting. <laughs> uh, great bird. We're, we're, we're sitting in here. We're, we're, we're racking our brains trying to decide. Yeah. What, what, the microscopic. Remember the microscopic creatures, the, the, the inorganic yeah. life. The inorganic life, remember? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Call them, uh, yeah, call them the pen lights. Uh, okay, boys, uh, pen lights? Pen lights are, uh, 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 micro, how about microbrains? Microbrains is a good one. Genius. Yeah, a bunch of microbrains, that's what I call you guys. He did it, genius. Caw, caw. Thank you, Gene. I'm the great bird of the galaxy, goddammit. Caw. Thank you, great bird. I, I mean, I, I know we're putting all this on uh, poor Gene, but it does seem like it seems like something that he wrote in uh, 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 the liner notes or something like, hey, hey uh, and call them microbrains. It would have been great at some point if they're going, so the microbrains are microbrains, and they went, <laughs> you know, my name is Daryl. Please <laughs> refer to me as Daryl. Or, or, or it was like, let me show you what a microbrain does, and like Picard's head just explodes like scanners. <laughs> <laughs> Will, I've got an incredible headache. My name is Colin. Just something, something other than that. It's like, yeah. you know, we call ourselves the exalted ones. Oh, sorry about that, microbrains. Biddy, biddy, biddy. Don't call us microbrains. It insults the <laughs> shit out of us. Biddy, biddy, biddy. But so the thing with the planet is what they do is they name the the the, the constellation or whatever. They'll name the star. Right, and then they just count the planets down. Right. We're going to call the star Alpha Ceti, and Alpha Ceti 5 then will be the fifth planet. And it's just so, no one, they never stop and say, so what are you calling this place? What are you calling it? Yeah. And and they can be sitting there going, you know, we are the microbrains. My name's Daryl, and we live on Pasadena. This is, you know, my uh, name's. Welcome to Micropia. Welcome to Microbraintopia. Valara 3, where the hell's that? Mandel says that. Let, let me catch this up. 
in that scene, Kim, Louisa Kim says, why was I never told about this? And Mandel actually says, because it's not particularly important. That's what he says. To but her. of course, it's monstrously important. But that's like arrogance, the arrogance of it, to call them microbrains. And it's great that the microbrains sort of diss them at the end and say, yeah, we'll come back in about three centuries, you bunch of losers. Or you come back in about three centuries, you bunch of losers. Because this attitude of going around calling the planets whatever you want and calling the race of people whatever you want, it just does not fly. Right. You know, I mean, what if they did that with the Ferengi? What if they just, you know, hey, Snaggletooth. The yes. Snaggletooth thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Are you referring to me? Hey, Bumpy Brow. Hey, Craterhead. Get over here. I'm a Klingon. We would like to pave over your, your, your Ferengi planet, if you don't mind. We'd like to pave over your forehead, Mr. Worf. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm a Klingon. I'm not a... Oh, wait, sorry, I'm sorry. That became Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> oh, there you're going to do that. I'm a Klingon. I'm a Klingon warrior. I am not a bumpy brain. Microbrain. Yeah, see, that's exactly right. So that's what Q calls Worf. Microbrain. Oh, he does call him that, doesn't he? He's a macro head. That's right. That's funny. What microbrain? Man, we've got to really get. We got to delve into this microbrain. Hold on a second. Let me let me get out my paperwork. I'm going to write this one down. Uh, Dave, Dave, don't forget. Look up microbrain and Gene Roddenberry. Ah, um, I, I'm sure to forget that in the next 15 minutes. Microbrain, a macro head, is an insult. It is. And so what are these jerks That's doing? True. Hey, you know, I heard this. I was thinking of calling them microbrain. I heard that somewhere before, and I thought it was really funny. What do you think? <laughs> and Worf is standing right there going, hey, hey, come to think of it, that's what Q called me. Hey. <laughs> One of the things that happens in the beginning with Picard, and this, is, this kind of speaks to this whole Roddenberry lack of tension between Starfleet officers or these terraformers aren't necessarily Starfleet officers, but they're, I'm sure, part of the Federation in some way. But Picard says, sure. Picard's really pressuring him to come down to the planet, and there's this kind of back and forth going on. It's like, Picard says, unless you're absolutely refusing us, be prepared to receive our away team. And it's like, well, what if the guy said, you absolutely cannot come down here? And Picard's like, all right, Riker, next episode. <laughs> what would have happened? Yeah, Picard, Picard's pushy. He's pushy as hell. He's, oh, he's really, really rude. But he's really commanding in, in this episode, but that's a weird thing to say. You're basically saying, like, if you tell us we can't come down, then we won't come down. All right. We'll be right down. So, um... As a whole, what do you think about this whole thing? Well, I mean, it's it's not a bad episode. There's some ideas, but again, they're echoes of the original series. It seemed a little uneven that they were going in one direction and then they went off in another. It yeah. has some good glimpses of stuff. I mean, you you get yes. you get to see Jordy and Troy used in better ways, but then that also right. is at the cost of Worf and Yar. And right. kind of Data. And Data, too. I mean, Data has that big action sequence, but he doesn't really exist in this episode, and especially an episode that questions things that he's been questioning before. Right. They use him when they want to, and then they make him take a back seat. And it's the same way they deal with Troy in this episode. She's very useful in the beginning, and then as soon as she doesn't serve the story, they kind of put her in the background so that she can't read Mandel's mind through the whole episode, which would be 
you know, it would be an interesting episode if all of a sudden she was really intuitive and could read what was happening and that influenced the plot. I mean, that would have been a more compelling story, I think. Well, and I have to tell you, is this a really forgettable episode in the end? I mean, we're, yeah. we're, we're doing our best to make something out of it. The only way I even remembered this episode existed was the ugly bags of mostly water, right? <laughs> right. Ugly I, bags of mostly water stuck with me, and that just cracked me up. It's one of those things that sticks in the head, but there's nothing else bags. about this episode. I think it lands right in the middle of season one. Right. It's, it's you know, February. It's, it's February for crying out loud. It's towards the end, right? I mean, it's towards the end of the season. Yeah, we're creeping to the end. We're getting towards the... But we're, we are in kind of a, uh, a dull spot right now. Right. I mean, ever since Data Lore, the quality has been dipping. Data Lore. Especially with too short a season. Sorry. But there's stuff coming. I mean, there's some more character-based stuff coming. What's up next, number one? Well, speaking of coming, is coming of age. I mean, it's a it's a Wesley episode, and it also sets up the penultimate episode of the season, Conspiracy. Right. Then we have yes, one of my favorites, Arsenal of Freedom, comes after that, and I'm just I'm I'm just or not after that. There's uh, coming of age. There's another episode which I think is a Wharf episode. Finally, and then there's Arsenal of Freedom. I know that it ends <laughs> it ends in kind of a crazy way this season. So there are some things to look forward to, and I'm I'm happy to take the ride with you all. Do you feel like we covered everything we need to cover in this episode? I think we covered more than we needed ah, to cover in this episode. I would like to um, sign this sucker out then. I, I invite you to do so. I, I, I like to sign out with this expression, let's go mine the store. And I, I'd like to share with everyone that that's a line that Captain Kirk says from, I think it's Mirror Mirror. It's a muck time. I believe it's, it's a, a line. Time. It's a line from a muck time. I took a chance and was wrong a captain kirk line from amok time so when when you hear me signing out that's what it means right star trek dreams and replicator wishes by william shatner okay i'm sorry you were talking about uh wrapping this baby up keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars and keep reaching for my toupee yeah, so um, thanks, everybody, for joining us on STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. I'm Commander Davey Dave signing out. And I'm Terraformer Andrew wishing you a happy life on a planet somewhere until I terraform it. Let's go mind the store. <laughs> Dig yourself out of that home soil because the Enterprise is about to come under attack by bureaucrats. What's his first name? Dexter Remick. You'll witness the evolution of your favorite father-in-chief. And this time, we really get some Pappy Picard action here. We get old Daddy Picard. The Enterprise crew will be grilled about their decision-making skills. Okay, so I, I've been counting. How many entities have you people yeah. met? And, and, and Q showed up here how many times? You'll learn how people in the 24th century take a seat. Uh, Frakes is like, you know what? You know, I'm going to pull out the whole stepping over the chair thing here. And young Crusher will endure a test of his own. Is it going to be snakes or an Aldebaran Cobra or something? Or like, what's going to happen? Three-headed Aldebaran Cobra callback. Get ready for the episode that will A. Try your patience. B. Challenge you to look at seating in a whole new way. C. Call out the great bird himself. Call! Call! The answer... Why, it's all of the above as Dave and Andrew experience coming of age 
on the next episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Bill's back, baby. Bill's back.